Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. You have to be objective. You have to look at the data. What's working? What's not working? And having that background in psychology, writing papers, doing research, looking at the studies, doing statistics, that really set me up for this framework around how to approach problems and how to do critical thinking. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Joe Booth, who is the VP of Sales Operations at Secure Auth Corporation. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. So today, we're going to try to understand that Joe's journey from sales into sales operations, and then we're going to try and uh, break down the Secure Auth sales ops. So let's kick off by understanding, Joe, your journey into sales ops, because I understand that you have uh, sales experience previously. Yeah, I started off as a BDR, a business development rep at Oracle, long time ago, about a decade ago. So cut my teeth, smiling and dialing, picking up the phone, cold calling every day. We were given basically an account list and you just started calling. None of the fancy tools that our SDRs and BDRs have today. I'm very jealous that they have so many things. But I did that for a couple of years and then became an inside sales rep. And then eventually an outside sales rep. And I did that for many years as well. And then I got into a little bit more on the training and operation side, starting to put together programs that were strategic for the company that I was working at at the time, developing specific sales plays that we wanted to scale across the organization. And we had good success with that. Uh, Then eventually, I took over all of sales enablement globally for the company. And that I did that for many years too. Uh, and then uh, about seven months ago, I had the opportunity to run a sales operations department and business development department. And that's what I'm doing today. So started off as a biz development rep, and now I'm running business development reps and uh, started off selling. And now I'm the one that's designing comp plans and territory structure and all that fun stuff that I, I never realized was as time consuming and difficult as 
I re- I thought it was when I was a rep when I just got handed a paper in a territory that I was told to go sell into. There, there's so much in, in that in that answer. It, the, the glory days, they must have been incredible, just smiling and dialing at Oracle a decade ago with no no sales tech to help you out. Um, the, the, the company where you made the transition, that was Aptus, right? Yeah, that's right. So my question is, why did you, like, because you probably had a, a big enough uh, like role in the sales, in actually doing sales. Well, how did you get almost diverted into doing those training sessions? Like, how, how did that happen? Was that just because you thought you would enjoy doing it, or someone asked you to do it? It was a little bit of both. So I was having success hitting Presidents Club year over year, and the second year at Presidents Club, our SVP of Sales approached me, and he said that some of the things that I was doing that were specific to my region and the competitor that I had a very high win rate against. He wanted me to put together a program that we could teach to the other sales reps. And I love the idea of being a force multiplier within an organization. I love the idea of helping my peers be more successful, make more money, build more confidence within themselves. So for me, I looked at it as an opportunity to advance my career more into management, which is the direction that I wanted to go, but also to help more people and have a broader impact within an organization, which aligns a lot with the values that I have of wanting to be a, a, a servant leader. So we, the, we developed a competitive strategy that I then started training reps on and getting involved with the deals. So I was still talking with customers. It was still very much a customer-facing role. And I did that for about a year and a half as what was referred to at the time as a competitive overlay. So I was still an account executive, but only getting involved in strategic deals against one primary competitor because our target was to increase our win rate specifically against this one competitor. And once we had that framework figured out, then we started to scale it across some of the other primary competitors that we had. Awesome. Do you think that to be an effective sales ops manager, leader, VP, you need experience actually selling? I think it helps. I think it definitely provides a lot more empathy towards what the salespeople go through on a day-to-day basis. I believe that having a a blended background is a strength in virtually any role that you have because you have different perspectives and learned from different managers in the past. So you take different nuggets and then you apply them to your situation. For me, one of the strengths that I have at this time is my strong sales background. I I understand the pressure of what it's like to carry a bag, to have a quota hanging over your head. Uh, I I understand that the the burden that technology plays on sales reps these days when we're handing them seven different tools and saying, hey, learn all of these and you have to optimize the usage. We're paying for these seats. So why aren't you using them? And why didn't you finish the training? Oh, and by the way, how come you haven't sold anything this week? Right? There's so much that we throw at salespeople. It's a difficult, difficult job. So having a background in that and having that empathy for what they go through on a day-to-day basis is a strength that I bring to the table. However, there are a lot of sales ops leaders that come from a finance background whose strength is the reporting aspect and the analysis and being able to work very seamlessly with their CFOs and their finance counterparts. And that's an area that I'm trying to develop myself right now as I make this transition from being a you know, quote-unquote sales guy for most of my career into being more on the finance side of being able to look at the numbers, 
show week over week reports, be able to provide board reports, all of the stuff that really is the engine that makes a company work is sales operations. But a lot of that has to flow through finance. And people that have that finance background that come from finance, I think they bring a lot of strengths to the role that are areas that I'm trying to develop right now myself. Makes sense. You have both undergrad and postgrad uh, experience studying psychology. How has that helped you? Uh, like, it's very clear how that could help you in the sales world. How yeah. has that helped you in the world of sales ops? I think it goes back to critical thinking, being able to understand problems, dissect them, and work on methods to solve problems, test, hypothesize, analyze results in an objective manner. In the sales world, you hear this terminology around, well, what are your instincts telling you? What, what does your gut say? That does not work for me. I think that instincts and guts are just a... Those are you tapping into patterns that might be subconscious that you've learned to read over a lifetime of working within those patterns. So they're still just patterns that can be evaluated and then deconstructed to figure out what's working and what's not. So for me in the sales ops world, it's the same thing. What's working, what's not? How do we deconstruct that? How do we think objectively about the data? When we look at what salespeople are doing, we can't just get caught up in the fact that, hey, this guy's a great guy. Look, he's so much fun when you're on the phone with him. Because salespeople are excellent communicators. I mean, they are literally professional communicators. And when you look at the average tenure that a salesperson has in their role, it's usually a year to a year and a half in the software industry. So that means that every year, fiscal year that a company has, they're turning over almost their entire sales force, if you look at it statistically. Now, it doesn't really work out like that. It's usually about 50% of your sales force turns over year over year. So you cannot make personal connections with these people and want to hold on to them just because they're nice guys. They are nice people, which is great. They're going to go find another job somewhere else and we wish them all the success. But you have to be objective. You have to look at the data. What's working? What's not working? And having that background in psychology, writing papers, doing research, looking at the studies, doing statistics, that really set me up for this framework around how to approach problems and how to do critical thinking. Awesome. Now, could you explain a little bit more about the sales function at SecureAuth, so how many reps, uh, how they're broken down, and how many people in the ops team? Yeah, we have about 50 sales reps of various types. So we have our SDRs, which would be our sales development reps, kind of like what I used to be at Oracle back in the day when you're just, you have your prospecting efforts, you're dialing for dollars. Uh, and each one of them is assigned to three or four account executives. So we've got about 20 account executives. And then these are all outside salespeople, or they will be outside salespeople once we get through the COVID knothole and we could start you know, seeing people in person again. We have about seven sales engineers who are technical salespeople that are doing a lot of the deep dive discoveries, technical demos, a lot of business validation when it comes to the environments that we sell into from an application standpoint, because we are a technology company. And then we have channel account managers as well. And the ins a couple of inside sales reps that are focused on the lower end of the market, as well as all at those various levels. So it comes out to be about 50 salespeople that we support. And our sales ops team is pretty small. It's myself, 
We have one application manager that's in charge of Salesforce and several of the other applications that we run on. We have a uh, sales ops coordinator that does all of the provisioning and some of the reporting that goes to finance. And then we have one sales enablement person that's in charge of all the training for our global sales force. Awesome. So a ratio of four to 50, which I think is about in line. I, I, I track this around the, um, I've tried this with various different guests. And I think the average was about 15 to one. So we're just about, actually, we're maybe slightly one to 12, I think, one to 13. Anyway, great. I, we, we, you mentioned a couple of times, Joe, about training. Um, specifically, this is how you first got into the world of sales ops. Can you share more about the training or learning programs that have been effective at Secure Off? Yeah, you bet. So training is critically important. It, and it has to be a nimble function. I think one of the issues with sales enablement or any corporate learning and development program is being able to have long-term training programs and a long-term calendar that is also flexible enough to pivot with the demands of the business. A perfect example would be COVID. You go in with the beginning of the year with this mindset where you're going to have a salesperson a sales kickoff in person, you bring everybody to it. Uh, you also are going to have a second half sales kickoff that you bring everybody to live events. And then you do all these new per, uh, new hire trainings every month, always in person at our corporate headquarters. And then we do weekly or bi-weekly company calls where we're training on whatever the the relevant topic is for that week. So we try and plan all of that stuff out in advance. But obviously with COVID, couldn't do any more of the in-person events, so we had to pivot there. And then with the weekly training, we felt like Zoom fatigue was becoming too much of a burden. So we wanted to start doing bi-weekly and start making the trainings more impactful as opposed to just kind of something that we could send an email about or provide a, a recording on. And we're really fortunate. We've invested in some great tools in our sales enablement team that allow our salespeople to go on and do bite-sized chunks, on-demand learning. That way they can get the information when they need it, as opposed to trying to teach everything at new hire training and then they forget it. Or trying to teach everything at a week-long sales kickoff and then it's never applied so that information is lost. So the training programs that we found that have been most effective at SecureOp are the ones that are on-demand and bite-sized and relevant to the business context that that problem, that that person is trying to solve for. So what we've done is we put together a lot of what we call like micro learning series. Like for example, if you want, if you're up against a specific competitor, you would be able to quickly pull up information that has just very bite-sized chunks that you could even pull up on a call to talk to a prospect about. And then if you want to go in and go a little bit deeper on that competitor, then you could watch a few 15-minute videos or five-minute videos. And these are the kinds of things that allow people to drop in and drop out as their schedules allow, and as the demands of the dictate, as the demands of the business really dictate. That was like a masterclass for sales training. The the uh, <laughs> just to confirm and clarify the three the three things that training must have to be effective. So it's on demand, relevant, and was it micro? The third part. Yeah, the micro. Or, yeah, or bite size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's really important because we're dealing with multiple generations in the workforce at the same time. So you have all of these baby boomers that are kind of on their way out. These are the people that are like, all right, I'm done. I just need a few more years and I'm done, right? Just, just trying to get my last kid through college, right? I hear that so much. 
we've got salespeople on our team that are, you know, in their 60s. And I know that they're not going to be as hungry and as driven as the person that is, has a couple of young kids trying to afford that mortgage. It's different stages of life. And we're all going to go through that. And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm vastly stereotyping here when it comes to the, the, the personalities of the different generations. But the one thing every adult has in common is we don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do a one hour training. I don't have enough time to go memorize all this content. So how do you help them? You give them bite-sized chunks when they need it in the places that they already are. So they're already in Salesforce, delivered in Salesforce. They're already on email, allow them to access it through email. So you got to meet them where they're at with little bite-sized nuggets that they could eat, digest, and then have actionable intent with when they finish that training. This is, this is really, really good stuff. I'm, I'm kind of tempted to do a whole separate uh, content piece or even episode on sales training. So we might tap you up for that, Joe. Um, what are you looking at at this, uh, to, or from a sales perspective, the focus for 2021? We're doing a lot of rebuilding right now. So when I came in seven months ago, I inherited a program that I think worked really well for the previous administration. However, with the way that I operate, with the way that our new CRO operates and the way that finance wants things, we need to make a lot of changes. So it seems like every time I lift up another rock, I'm realizing there's something that needs to get corrected. So we're doing a lot of optimization around making it easier for sales reps to get quotes out the door, making it easier for sales reps to manage their opportunities and ultimately drive efficiency within the organization around how we automate reporting, getting off of spreadsheets, using a lot of more automation tools that we already have today that we're just not utilizing. So trying to look at how we make it easier for sales reps to do their job. But also, what about us? I want my job to be easier too, right? Who doesn't want their job to be a little bit easier? So what are the manual reports? What are the things that we get hung up on as a team week over week that we can iron out? So it's all about efficiency for our frontline salespeople, but also us internally. Makes total sense. And the, the final and probably the most important question, Joe, is who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? You know, I, uh, my grandpa died before I ever got to know him. And I would love to sit him down and explain to him what I do. I'm the first person in my family to go to university. Um, and I think he'd be super proud of me and just to know that our family's going in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, everybody in my family was in the military. I'm the first person to go to college. And I think he'd be proud that I've blazed my own path and I would love to sit him down. And, you know, they always say, if you could, if you could explain to your grandma what you do, then you're doing it right. Well, I would love the opportunity to sit down with my grandpa and explain to him about the world of sales ops. I think that'd be a very meaningful, very meaningful day for me. That is a beautiful answer. And with your grandfather's experience in the military, potentially there's some, not crossover, but I'm sure he would understand parts of the, um, of the department of the, of the work that you do, Joe, for sure. Um, I, I think that the, 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 the thing that I really loved about today's session with your, well, both passion and your knowledge of how to effectively train salespeople. And now this is in my mind, I'm not going to forget this. We, we need to be bite-sized we need to be relevant, and we need to be on demand. Good summary. <laughs> Joe, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. 
Thank you, Tom. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.